0: Rule number one is if you want to improve the team, you improve yourself. Anytime you show up as less than the best version of yourself, that is actually an act of selfishness.
1: Hey everybody, this is Pat Cohen with the AD Insider Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of bringing you Alan Stein Jr., a world-renowned coach, speaker, and author to share his perspective on developing elite high school athletes as well as elite people. See, Alan spent the last 15 plus years working with the highest performing youth, high school, and professional athletes as a basketball performance coach. But now Alan travels the world to do keynote speeches and run workshops with organizations to help them develop championship level performance. After reading his book and consuming most of his content online in preparation for this interview, I'm fired up to dive into a conversation with Alan. But first, this podcast is powered by Clel Wade Coaches Directory, the team that has been helping coaches and administrators connect for over 60 years. If you haven't already, download their app and start updating your information today. Alan, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I'm really excited to, to to be on the phone with you. And the one thing as my personal note going into this interview was... How do you match his energy? Because every time I see you speak, I leave the, the room, or the conference room or the, the giant auditorium thinking, how does he infect people with that much
0: energy? What's, what's your secret when it comes to energy? Well, you know what's interesting, Pat, and I, I'm so excited to connect with you. This has been a long time coming. Um, I'm actually very heavily introverted, and, and I actually derive my energy uh, from solitude. Like I, I need and I crave alone time so that I can recharge my battery so that I can be of service to others. And it's one of the pieces of advice that I give all coaches. You know, most coaches, whether at the youth, high school, college or pro level, you know, once the season starts and and there's so many demands on their time, they usually let some of that self-care stuff fall by the wayside because they just don't think there's enough time in the day. You know, they're trying to To come up with a practice plan or they're doing extra film sessions or they want to, you know, get in an extra workout with a player and they actually start to let their own self-care diminish. And yet that's the time when their energy needs to be the highest because it's the season. So it's this inverse relationship of when they should be taking the best care of themselves is most of, you know, in, in many coaches cases, when they actually take the least care of themselves. And, and I try to, you know, help with that theme and getting coaches to understand that, you know, you got to get your sleep, you got to eat well, don't stop working out, find what refills your bucket and do that daily so that you can serve your players or, or if you're an athletic director, you can serve your coaches. Um, or if you're in the corporate world, you serve your colleagues and your coworkers. So self-care is something I'm, I'm a huge advocate of.
1: Now it doesn't stop with a coach though I mean we're because we're working with athletic directors too
0: for sure and, and what I try to position it with most people, whether it's players, coaches or athletic directors, is anytime you show up as less than the best version of yourself, that is actually an act of selfishness that you are letting in this case your coaches down or if you're a coach you're letting your players down if you come to practice uh, or to a meeting and you're not well rested or well fed or well hydrated or have the mental clarity to be at your best. It's actually an act of selfishness. And as any coach will tell you, you know, if if their star player shows up to the game and he didn't sleep the night before and he didn't eat breakfast that morning and he didn't come in to do his stretches or his training, any coach will tell you we have less of a chance to win tonight because this player chose not to show up as their best self. And it's just important as adults and as coaches and athletic directors, that we take that same medicine that we're constantly trying to give to the players.
1: That's a good resolution for 2020 as we roll into it, is try to find ways to to fill our own cups up. Also in 2020, uh, it act- gives us a kind of an interesting milestone to, to ask you and to give a little bit more of an origin of your story. What were the last 20 years like for Alan Stein? Just so our audience has a, has a- little bit more perspective of who you are and where you came from. 2000, year 2000, what were you doing?
0: Uh, year 2000, I was I was on the heels of just graduating from college. So uh, I graduated from a, a public high school here in the Washington, Washington, D.C. area in 1994, and then I went to play basketball down, which at the time was Elon College. It's now Elon University, uh, and I was there 94 to 98, and I did one semester of grad school at UNCG, and I I moved back to the D.C. area in 1999 and started uh, in the training space, in the performance and strength and conditioning space. I had a chance to meet some amazing people and was mentored by some greats and got to work with some great players and got to do something I love. So. The last 20 years overall have been great, but they've also had some potholes and some landmines that, that I probably needed to step on to learn some lessons, and I'm very thankful for those. And my goal is simply for the next 20 years, if you and I do a reunion podcast in 2040, um, that I know I'm going to make a bunch of mistakes in the next 20 years. I just hope I don't make the same ones I made in the last 20, and, and for me, that's really important. Yeah, I'm, I'm
1: doing my own analysis of my last 20 years, and I was 12, so there's been a lot of changes <laughs> since then. Uh, yes, I hope so. Exactly. Uh, picking off that particular time in your life, I mean, that's where you really built your name in the basketball space, one of the most um, influential and and, and well-known uh, performance trainers uh, that's out there working with some of the highest-level athletes. You really specialized in the high school athlete. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about why you were – known that well as, as somebody that could really get the most out of high school athletes?
0: I believe there were a few things. One, and, and I don't know if you or your listeners have read outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, oh, yeah, but for sure. uh, one of the, the premises of that book is, um, that you need to be in the right time in order for it to be the right place. And, you know, I, I, with, with all transparency, you know, in the early two thousands, there was hardly anyone doing basketball performance training, so mm-hmm. uh, there wasn't very much competition. I mean, it wasn't like there was a hundred trainers <laughs> you were submitting good their resumes because nobody else was in it. All right, I got you. Well, no, I, I won't say that was the reason I was good. I will say that that was the reason I had some opportunities with less with less friction than I would have now. I mean, right now. I mean, I could probably throw a rock outside of my apartment and hit someone that would like to be the strength coach for DeMatha basketball. Right. Yet when I was coming in, there just wasn't that much competition. So it afforded me some opportunities, uh, quite frankly, probably before I'd earned the right to be there. And uh, I'm I'm thankful for that. Uh, I think another part that really helped at that time was almost all performance coaches, uh, at this time, we're coming from a football background because mm. football and strength and conditioning are so synonymous. And I think I created nice uh, a differentiator in myself that I was a basketball guy. You know, I walk, talk and think like a basketball player. Uh, I played at the college level, certainly not a very high level, but a, a decent and respectable college level. And I think both Coach Vetter and Coach Jones recognized, you know, here's a guy that his has developed the craft of strength and conditioning. He's studied, you know, biomechanics and movement and kinesiology and anatomy. uh, But he's also a basketball guy. So we don't have this football guy coming in trying to train our players like football players. We have a basketball guy coming in to train our players like basketball players. And uh, I absolutely think that was a big part of it.
1: and that's, that's why I like to bring you onto this podcast is because you're, you have an interesting perspective and we'll get more into how you work with organizations in a little bit, but that specifically, um, for athletic directors, your perspective on, uh, on basketball and the high school athlete is, is a big deal to me because, um, some of the issues and maybe I can just get your take on them. You know, I, I feel like there's this double standard out there now, uh, you being a performance coach, you were, you push people to their limits to get the most, uh, to help them realize their full potential. Uh, nowadays, I think there's this little double standards that parents have on schools. Uh, one, they want the school to be nice to their kid. They don't want the kid to to be unhappy with their experience. But then two, they want the schools to be able to provide as much as the private coach down the street um, in terms of access to uh, scholarship offers and, co- and, and college coaches. So it's, hey, we want you to get my kid to be as good as possible, but y- we don't want you to make them uncomfortable. Uh, what are your thoughts on that being you know, in the space that you're at with trying to maximize people's performance?
0: Well, uh, and I'll say this with a, a smile because I am a sports parent. I have almost 10-year-old <laughs> twin sons and I have an almost eight-year-old daughter and they're just starting their youth sporting experience. And I say this with all the love, grace, and compassion I have in my heart. Parents can be a little nutty sometimes, and, and parents can often be uh, the ones that give athletic directors and coaches the gray hairs. And, and yeah, you said it perfectly. Um, parents kind of want, want it all, and they want it for their child. And now that I have children, I know why that is. You know, I, uh, they, they love their kid more than anything in the world, and, and that's something I really try to take to heart. Even if I meet a parent that's being difficult, I take a step back, and I take a breath and go, hey, this person's being a little difficult. But they love their kid just as much as I love mine. So this is something that's important to them. They may be a little misguided and they may be a little off target, but they're doing it out of love. And I think to answer your question, it's really important for the coaches to be able to clearly articulate their belief system and their philosophy, especially when it comes to Uh, discomfort and, you know, let the parents know that, you know, I know you love your child very much and please know that I'm going to do everything in my power to develop them to be the best player they can be, to be the best teammate they can be. And I want them to have a wonderful high school sporting experience. But in order to do that, I'm going to have to make them uncomfortable mentally, physically and emotionally. You know, we're we're going to have some early morning workouts. We're going to have some workouts that are really tough. Uh, there's going to be some times where your child doesn't play a lot and that will be emotionally taxing on them. But I think if you open up communication lines and you're constantly talking to the parents and letting them know that that you're on their side, you're an ally, not an adversary. That that you may not love their child as much as they do because it is their child, but you're doing everything you can to pour into them. And that you want them to have the best experience possible. And, and I think if you sit down and you ask what the goals are, you know, if if a if a player's goal is to play a college sport, well, then let's make sure we – we being the parent, uh, maybe even the athletic director and the coach, let's get together and put our heads together and put a blueprint in place that will give this child the best opportunity to play college sports. Uh, if not, if they just want to have fun with their their friends and they just want to be a part of something bigger than themselves – That's okay too. Let's make sure we're putting an emphasis on fun and and team camaraderie and cohesion. So I I think anytime there's a disgruntled person, whether it's a disgruntled parent, a disgruntled player, a disgruntled coach, or a disgruntled athletic director, it usually stems from lack of communication or poor communication. I find when everyone just puts all the cards on the table, everybody hold hands and say we're all gonna do what's best for this child, then things usually work out and there's very minimal friction.
1: Now this um, this is going to jump ahead a little bit, but as you were going through that answer, all I could think of was the performance gap, and I've heard you talk about it several yes. different times. Um, but in terms of writing down, hey, here's our 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 path to getting to where we you and the the parent want to the kid to get to, you know, with the goals that everybody has in mind. Um, that performance gap that you talk about in terms of are you doing all the things you need to do to get to that spot. Right? Yes. So, uh, I guess step one, elaborate on the, what is the performance gap, uh, the way you referred to it. And then two, how does that relate to what we're talking about right now in your own words? Cause I kind of brutally went through that.
0: No, no, you teed it up perfectly and I'm glad you went there. This will be a fun space to play in. Um, a performance gap is simply the gap between what we know and what we do. You know, if, if you know you're supposed to exercise three times a week and you don't, It's you're not that's not because you don't know that you're supposed to. It's simply because you're not doing it. So um, I found it in, you know, especially now in 2020 in the information age where we can, you know, at the at the touch of a button uh, can find out the information just about to anything we want to know. Lack of knowledge is hardly ever the problem. Uh, what's usually the hang up is lack of action or lack of doing it's not doing the things that we know I mean I could come up with a list right now You know whether it's everybody knows they should be saving for retirement to everybody knows they should be working out a few times a week You know everybody knows that they should spend quality time with their spouse and children I mean everybody knows these things But not everyone does them and and a key to performing well and a key to just being happy and fulfilled is finding ways to remove those barriers so we do the things that we, we know we're supposed to do. And you, know, you, you teed it up perfectly because uh, these performance gaps happen all the time. Uh, with players, they happen. Players know they're supposed to do something, and they don't do it. I mean, if we use basketball, since that's the area that I've lived in, For sure. there's, not a, there's not a player on the planet that doesn't know that if they come in 30 minutes before practice and stay 30 minutes after practice to take extra game shots from game spots at game speed, that they won't improve as a shooter. There's no one that doesn't know that. That's common sense. But how many players actually do it? Not very many. And and those that do are the ones that end up being the best shooters, and that's not a coincidence. And we, we could come up with similar analogies for parents and for coaches. And, you know, one thing that that I always think about, Parents know like logically that, all right, my son is one of 15 players on this basketball team. You know, he's a part of a whole and that the coach, I know that the coach needs to do what's best for the entire team and for the program. And but even though I know that I'm still kind of very biased and have self-interest that I'm really only worried about my kid. I'm only worried about my kids playing time and my kids, how many times he gets to shoot. And I only care if my kid gets a scholarship. So even though I know he has teammates and I know that the coach's job is to serve the group, I still kind of have that gap of only caring about my child. And and I certainly don't say that to blanket all parents, but many times parents just put those blinders on and, and they think that the coach's sole job is just to serve their own child. And It's like, well, there's 14 other kids here that also want to get a scholarship. I can't just do everything for your child. And I think parents know that logically, but their behavior isn't congruent with that. And, for sure. And, um, and that's that can that happen in so many ways.
1: Back to what you're saying on the communication piece and, 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 consistently communicating, you know, what is the goal? W- what needs to happen? Not only on the extra time thing, because you also run into that issue of the player. That's really not that good, but puts in a ton of time because they love it and then expects mm-hmm. to play. Well, that can't happen either. There needs to be measurable goals of, Hey, uh, kind of like Anson Dorrance's competitive cauldron where he ranks, every single player, everything every single practice and shows you yep. on the depth chart. And it's pretty easy to know if you're not, why you're not playing is because Susie, Stacy, and Jennifer are ahead of you on, a, on, on these metrics that really matter. So um, I just echo your point. I think it's excellent that, that you brought that up and it jumped ahead to our performance gap conversation, but I'm going to cross that off the list. Cause for me, when I heard you talk the first time, um, that was when I, I wrote down, underlined and, and started thinking through, you know, auditing my downtime of what, what am I not doing? You know, I think I'm so busy, but you know, when I audit my downtime, how could I, what other things could I do to close that gap? And, and I know you talk about it a little bit and I'm, I, I just want to go there right now. Closing Please. that performance gap. I mean, we as, as professionals or athletic administrators all have goals, and we write them down. We have meetings, and, and the tough part about an athletic administrator is working with a group of people, right? You're not only oh, yeah. controlling yourself or trying to motivate yourself to do things, but you're also trying to get 20, 30 people to go that direction as well. So when you've worked with organizations, how do you help them close their individual and group performance gaps?
0: Well, and, and I, I love how you teed that up. I actually have a, a three-step, and I just call it a system. I'm a big believer in systems. Um, uh, I believe systems are, are, are what create success, systems are what create happiness, uh, and systems also win. You know, you could take anyone that's won at a high level. I mean, we'll use uh, Nick Saban uh, or Coach K. Uh, it's okay if, if, because of your geographical location, uh, you have rooting interest against someone else, but no one can argue uh, the long-term success those guys have had. And they have it because they put systems in and they create cultures. So the system for closing a performance gap, the very first thing you need to do is you need to figure out w- what these gaps are and where they are. Uh, and for me, I, I, it works best if I look at the different areas of my life. So let me just look at my financial life and let me identify any performance gaps I have. Things that I know I'm supposed to do that I'm not currently doing. And then let's pivot over and maybe I'll look at my my fitness. Um, I'll just call it well-being. You know, what are the things I know I'm supposed to do but I'm not doing. And, and maybe another one for someone is their relationships. You know, uh, in my case, the most important relationship to me is with my children. What are things I know that I should be doing with my children that I'm not doing? And, and I'm just using those as examples. Anyone listening, you figure out your own silos or pillars that you wanna dissect. And then I want you to, in each of those, figure out some of the things that you need to start doing, but then also look on the other side of the coin and start looking at the things you need to stop doing. Uh, because it's not always starting a new habit. Sometimes it's it's eliminating a poor habit that would be of more use. And, and you're going to start to build this big web and collage. And first and foremost, if you're like me, it should be a big piece of humble pie because you should be able to look around and go, my goodness, in these five important areas of my life, I have several performance gaps in each. Good gracious. That is very humbling. And that's okay. But then what I want you to do is first narrow it down to the silo that you believe is most important now uh, or that should have the highest urgency. And let's just say for the sake of argument, it's it's the well-being or the fitness one. And then you need to look at that list of things to start and stop. And this is going to be really hard, but I just want you to narrow it down to one thing, just one behavior that you're either going to start or one behavior you're going to stop. And I want you to just circle that. And that is the only one that we're going to worry about right now. We're just going to pick one thing. And that in and of itself will be a huge challenge because most athletic directors, most coaches, and most players are so driven and confident and ambitious that the thought of only tackling one thing just doesn't seem challenging enough, especially when you have a list of 20 things that you know you want to get better. Uh, But research has proven that if you try to chase two rabbits, they'll both get away. So you need to just focus on the one thing. And and if you're willing to have that type of precision on that one thing, you're going to greatly increase the chance that you'll make that positive change. So step one is of all the things in your life you want to improve, narrow it down to one singular behavior. Um, let's f- say for the sake of this um, that I, I'm, I'm not very physically fit right now. I, I haven't made habits of eating well. I haven't been working out. Well, I'm not going to try and change 20 things, all I'm going to do is starting tomorrow, I'm going to go for a walk for 30 minutes a day. That is my goal and my commitment. It might be before work, it might be during my lunch break, uh, it might be right before practice, whatever it may be, but all I'm going to commit to is just going for a walk 30 minutes a day. And that's it. I'm not going to change my diet, I'm not going to hire a personal trainer, I'm not going to buy stock in SoulCycle or or anything like Mm -hmm. that. All I'm going to do is go for a walk 30 minutes a day now that I've I've completed step one, step two is to make a commitment to doing that for 66 straight days. Make it your goal that you can pull out a red Sharpie and on your calendar, you can put a big X every day after you go for a walk for 30 minutes. And your goal is to get 66 X's in a row. But have the compassion and knowing there's a very good chance you're going to miss a day or two. And that's okay. Uh, As my friend James Clear says, who wrote the book Atomic Habits, try not to miss twice in a row. So if you get five in a row and then you miss one, uh, don't be woe is me, don't pout about it, just pick up that next day and start a new string of X's. And, and once again, research has shown that around the 66 day mark, you start to feel less friction, that this starts to become something more natural that you're doing. Uh, I'm not gonna say it's automatic, but it starts to just become easier to integrate in. You know, that first week, if you've never been doing anything physically active, that first week of just trying to go for a walk 30 minutes a day, will be challenging you know the first few days when you're high on motivation are probably pretty easy and then after that it starts to wane and you know after that you realize man it's it's raining outside and it's really cold I don't feel like doing it today that's when you really put it to the test so step one is pick one step two is do it for 66 days and step three is keep the spotlight on and that simply means you need to create a a circle of accountability It can be an accountability partner or it can be a group of people, but you need to elicit the help of others. Uh, It could be a coaching colleague. It could be your spouse. It could be uh, a a teammate. It could be, I mean, whoever, somebody that you know cares enough about you that wants to see you improve this behavior. Um, And in this case, you know, I'm going to text you and say, Pat, uh, I'm, I'm tired of not having the energy that I want. I'm tired of not looking and feeling as well as I'd like. I'm gonna make a commitment to go for a walk every day for the next 66 days, and I really could use your help in holding me accountable. Can you commit to texting me every night and checking in to see if I went for my walk? And if you're somebody that, that cares about me, you won't even blink. You'll say, yeah, of course, Alan, no problem. I got you, I'll text you. And if I do that with a few different people, and now I have a few people constantly checking in and saying, You know, Alan, did you go for your walk? And on the days that I do, you guys give me praise on the days that I don't, you show compassion, but you hold me to the fire. You don't entitle me and you don't say, yeah, I don't blame you, man. I wouldn't have walked today either. You say, come on, Alan, you're you're better than this. I know you missed today, but let's get back at it tomorrow. I'm gonna text you first thing in the morning and make sure you're going for a walk. Or if you and I happen to live close to each other, you might say, Alan, you know what? I'll actually walk with you this week. That'd be good for me. Uh, Let's meet every day at noon outside at the track. Uh, But whatever it is, you have people that are gonna hold you accountable. And if you pick one thing, And you commit to doing it for 66 days and you have people that care about you, hold you accountable to doing that thing. Statistically, you have a really good shot of improving that behavior. And then that's just part of what you do. And then, then you can pivot to something else and say, okay, now that walking is just something I do daily. Now, maybe I'm going to try something different. You know, now I'm going to stop drinking soda. That's the only thing I'm going to change is stop drinking soda. And then you go through that same system. You know, that's the only thing I'll do. I'm going to commit to it for 66 days and maybe Pat, you're still on my accountability team. So now you're going to text me and ask if I went for a walk and make sure I didn't have soda. And now these things start to stack. And, you know, so you at the end of the, the year,
1: you, you, you don't, yes, you don't, you one, don't stop. stop, you keep no. it going. you're choosing things and, that you're
0: going to do forever. I'm going to walk 30 minutes forever. Like when? Yes. Okay. No. And I like where you're going with that. And and the question is when, you know, when are you going to, to stop doing it? And, and that's ultimately, and this is the question most people ask. They're like, well, you know, I've heard it takes 21 days to make a habit or now Mm -hmm. you're telling me 66 or some people have said nine months. When, when do I, when can I stop doing it? And then the answer, I mean, the answer literally is, well, never. I mean, if you want this to be a part of what you do, right? And that's the big don't, thing don't start thing thinking about when do you get to stop. Yeah, you're, right. that's a self defeating attitude. Well, I think um, it's funny
1: we're here in the new year, and so a lot of people have uh, New Year's resolutions. They a lot of them are lose weight or do this, yeah. and they pick a diet or they pick a strenuous workout plan. You know, P ninety X or something for a while ago that everybody got into, um, and yeah. then they crush it and they or a marathon, right? And a marathon's a great example because yep. you train, 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 you do it. And then you did it, and you you yes. get the confidence. You get the yeah, I did it, I did it. But the lifetime effects of that actually sometimes are more of a a, a negative than a positive because you're not you don't keep that going.
0: Absolutely. So well, I, when we're I, talking I like about the specific
1: of what you choose is something you want in your life forever, not just yes. the next sixty six days. Uh, this is perfect. This is perfect because we we and I didn't plan this, but we we talked about the individual there with the nutrition and the goals and the performance gap, um, which is where most of your talks start is in leadership and in performance, instead of focusing on the group, focus on yourself first. So we definitely did that in this interview, but now transitioning to what you do for organizations or, or how you affect them. I, I think we got a little bit of a, uh, a showcase on why you transitioned into the motivational and, and, and business consulting world, because how, amazing of a speaker you are. Thank you. Uh, drive n- drive to the point. I want to go, go into the point of w- when it comes to performance gaps for organizations. Okay. We know the basics of it. How does it differ yep. when you go to the group from the individual?
0: Oh um, man, I love where you're going with this. You, you make this easy for me, man. You lob me some <laughs> softballs and I, and I appreciate it. Well, you know, as you just said, we did cover that rule. Number one is if you want to improve the team, you improve yourself. So you make sure it's crystal clear to everyone in the room on a sports team or in a business that everyone else in this room is counting on you to do the things that Alan and Pat have just talked about during the first portion of this podcast. That is rule number one. And if you do that, now we can start talking about the group. And there's a couple of pillars that that are really important. Uh, the first is role clarity and making sure that everybody in that room knows exactly what their role is. And their role is not always what they want it to be. It's what the team needs it to be for the team to be successful. And that's why leadership is so important, because while I do want everyone in an organization to view themselves as a leader, somebody is going to be in charge of saying, all right, here's what your role is, Pat. Alan, here's what your role is, and here's what your role is, and here's what your role is. And everyone needs to be able to know their role, and and I don't want folks to gloss over that. You know, I could tell you right now, we'll use a corporate example. Uh, a corporate example, you could take someone and say, all right, I want you to write down exactly what your role is with this company. And then you go to their supervisor or their manager or whoever they report to and say, okay, I want you to write down what that person's role is. And they write it down. And you compare the two sets of notes. And sometimes people are, are just shocked by how much um, disconnection there is for sure. But here I am. Sh- I'm showing up to work every day. Yeah. Thinking this is my role. And the yeah. person that I report to thinks my role is something else. We're not even on the same page.
1: Well, and I think in a high school athletic department, also in a college space is who does the marketing, who right. does the fundraising. So yes. it, it, it's some of the bigger high schools or, or, um, you know, some of the places that maybe even private high schools that have like a, their own foundation or their own fundraising group, Whose role is it to organize the donor event or right. when it comes to social media or um, and that kind of tails into marketing? Is it the athletic director that's supposed to organize how they're marketing their games or is that right. the coach themselves? And I think it's different in different places, right? I've, I've definitely a- absolutely.
0: heard coaches. And all that matters is how you do it in your organization and how you can make sure that, that it's yeah. crystal clear. I yeah. And, and, I, and I hope the the athletic directors are turning the volume up a little bit because that's something that needs to be crystal clear, you know, because if if the soccer coach thinks their job is one thing, you know, outside of coaching the team, of course, and the athletic director thinks it's supposed to be something else. That's when we start to have these issues. So once everyone on the team knows their role, then you have to get everyone to buy into and embrace their role. And now clearly, if if Pat, if your role in our organization is what you want it to be, then you're going to embrace it. Like you're thankful that we want you to do what you want to do. Yeah, but that However, if happen. it's not, no, you know, if and, and basketball is such an easy example to use, you know, it's pretty easy to sell the role to a player that, you know, you're our number one option on offense. You're going to start play most of the minutes and you can pretty much shoot anytime you want. That's an easy role to sell a 15 year old. But how about if I tell you your role is you're the third string point guard and I need you to show up to practice every single day and push the first and second string guy as hard as you can, but you're going to get very limited minutes this entire season. That's an incredibly important role for the team. But, boy, is that a hard role to get a 15-year-old young person to buy into. For sure. But you need them too, if you want that team to be the best it can be. And once people start to embrace their role, then you need to keep encouraging and empowering and praising them to try and star in their role to the best of their ability. You know, the secret to coaching is can you get that player I just described to make it their goal to be the best third-string point guard in the conference – or the best third-string point guard in the state, or even in the country, can they take so much pride in their job of pushing the, the, the first and second stringer that, that they're, I mean, they're proud of that, and that is hard to do. You know, If, if you work in an, a corporate organization, you more than likely have a, a group of building service people that come in overnight to take out the trash and to clean the office. Do those people take pride in saying, we are going to clean this office better than any office in the country tonight? That's hard to do. That's hard to find people that do that. But once everyone knows their role and embraces it and tries to star in it, now you've really got something unique and special. And that leads us to the next pillar of accountability. You know, I I mentioned accountability and having an accountability partner or team when you're trying to close your own performance gap. But we need accountability amongst the entire group. And in this case, vertical accountability is not enough. Vertical accountability is, I'm the head coach, I tell my assistant coaches what to do, they tell the players what to do, they tell the managers what to do. No, we need to also have horizontal accountability, which is everyone holds everyone accountable, For everything that we do, Uh, we can throw the org chart out the window because no one is above the standards we've set and and everyone needs to be held accountable. And when you can have that type of crystal clear role clarity and you can have the type of accountability where folks talk to each other and not at each other. And, you know, if, if a player is late to practice, his teammates get on him before the coach even says anything. Now you've got something really amazing. And that's that's what elite level teams are made of. The accountability
1: piece, I'm bad at this, and I think a lot of people are, in terms of holding other people accountable. I'm a nice guy. I want everybody to think I'm a nice guy. I struggle with addressing not a big issue, but maybe it's just an issue. Uh, Say Mm -hmm. somebody doesn't – they don't pick up their mail, and so it it fills up the box, and it's annoying, and it bothers me, and we have this standard of – you know, keeping everything exceptionally clean. Say that's the example. I Perfect. would struggle to go to that people person and 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 call them out. What have you learned, or what do you help teach organizations do in that scenario in terms of the? I guess the individuals of how to address little things because if it's you know the oh, little things are the big things.
0: Yes, they sure are. And and I think you and I are very similar in that regard. Um, and for confirmation, I do consider you a nice guy. Uh, <laughs> I consider myself a nice guy. We're both probably wired to be people pleasers at heart. Exactly. Like we we like doing things that make others feel good. We like yes more than we like no. Um, what I think is important now for some reason, and this is interesting because there's a pretty different, you know, a pretty vast age gap between you and I. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, you and I apparently have both grown up thinking that accountability is a bad thing and thinking that confrontation yep. is a bad thing and and I even it. I don't even like the word confrontation it. because it has such a negative connotation to me but, but I've as, seen this,
1: the 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 value of of it I have seen it. so oh, I know sure. I need to be better at it I've gotten to that self-awareness point but uh still not amazing at it
0: Well it, it's very similar you know when I when I kind of flipped the house upside down earlier and I said You know, if during the season you're watching so much film and doing so many extra things that you're not getting sleep and you're not taking care of yourself, that actually means you're being selfish. Most coaches, that will blow their mind because they're actually thinking they're doing the opposite. They think they're being so selfless by sacrificing their own personal care to serve others, but they are actually being selfish because their team needs them to be the best. It's the same with accountability. On a a human level, you actually think you're being nice by not telling that person to pick up their mail, but you're actually not. You're you're, you're basically entitling them to have bad behavior. You're allowing them to to skate on a standard that everyone else is expecting them to live up to. So in essence – that's an act of selfishness that that you're not doing what you pledge to do to the rest of the group. And and I don't say that with judgment because I'm very similar to you in that regard. But so what I've are tried people to
1: please pleaser, like how Yeah, exactly where you're going, well, I, I've how changed do you do for it?
0: myself and I've changed with organizations is I've reframed it that accountability is the best gift you can give another human being that that discipline is a great thing that me telling you, Pat, you need to pick up your mail. I'm actually doing that in service of you because if you start picking up your mail, that's going to make you better, and it's going to make us better. For so sure, in but fact, some
1: people are better at it than others in terms of, of – I can course. say it. Some of people course. hold people accountable with a laugh and a smile and a personal t- – like – some people yes. are just really good at it. They you don't they even are. know you don't even know and, that and, they're being uh, confrontational because they're just saying, "Hey, it's kind of funny how messy this is." And you know, let, you know, let's pick it up. All right, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it just some people have a way of doing it, and I just, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm intrigued. And I can't imagine. You know, I'm 32 years old. How does a 18, you know, 17, eight year, year old. Um, you know, some of them are good at it naturally, but when when you go in and work with teams, or when teams use your book as their like team um, project, uh, is that a subject that comes up often in terms of how to hold your teammates accountable and how to teach young people how to be accountable amongst each yes. other? Yes.
0: First, we we get everyone in the room, and as often as we can, we say, "Do not forget holding someone accountable." is the best gift you can give them. So I want us to start creating a standard that when someone on this team holds someone else accountable, that your first response is thank you. You know, thanks mm-hmm. Alan for thanks Alan for caring enough to tell me to pick up my mail. Like thank you. I know that was not easy for you. I know that was hard because you don't like confrontation. That took a lot of courage for you to tell me to pick up my mail. And I appreciate you doing that, my friend. So we we want to make sure that we create that environment. And then I've I've said it a few times and I think I got this either from Kevin Eastman or Jay Billis. I don't know where I stole it from, but Mm -hmm. it's learn to talk to a teammate, not talk at a teammate. You know, this is not me telling you, you have to pick up your mail. This is me asking you to live up to the standard that you agreed to, which would be to pick up your mail. And, and, and that's, that's so important. And this is where teammates need to learn how to approach each other and not everybody's going to be the same. And, and if you, you blend that through repetition and constant praise and reinforcement and you get people to acknowledge that, you know, thanks for getting on me earlier today. You know, almost any player will tell you when they were in high school and their coach got on them, they hated it. Ten years later, they go back to their coach and were like, thank you so much for getting on me. Like you helped me become the man that I am and the player that I became, you know. So all we're trying to do is shrink that learning curve so that they start to realize it now you know, man, the reason coach gets on me is because he loves me. It's not because he he doesn't you know he cares enough to yell at me when I miss the line during a suicide or a sprint. I mean, he cares enough to get ang- angry at me when I'm one minute late for a weight room session. I should be thankful that someone cares enough to hold me to that high of a standard, and I think the earlier we can start teaching that the better. And, and high school is a very impressionable age and teaching kids then that man, accountability, whether it's from a coach or from a teammate or from a teacher or an AD or a parent is the best gift you can get. And you should want to surround yourself with people that care enough about you to hold you accountable to everything you do. That is how you'll be the best you can be.
1: I'm sorry this turned into like a personal self-help talk between you and I, but this is helping me a ton. This is awesome stuff.
0: You're not the only one that needs this, brother. And I'm telling you, this this is all stuff I've been working through. So I can promise you, somebody else listening is nodding their head right now, going, "Oh my gosh, I need this too."
1: Yeah, and you have the perspective of it because you've been both in high school sports and uh, with these organizations that you travel around to uh, to work with. One of my questions, and maybe accountability was the answer. When working with organizations, what's the most common thing you're going in there to do?
0: For the most part, it always stems off of the word performance. They're either trying to improve executive leadership performance. They're trying to improve sales performance. They're trying to improve the performance of the entire unit as a a group. And then, of course, when you're talking about performance, then you start talking about things like culture and behavior and beliefs. And so all of these things kind of stem together, but it almost always has to do – with raising your game or improving performance in some area
1: and uh that is the title of your new book and i highly recommend anybody that's looking to get more out of their own performance or their team's performance to to have a look because what you do in the book is interesting is you you pull from not just sport but where People in the high level of business have have gone and, and raised the game of their own leadership level or, or their staff 's level to, to accomplish some pretty incredible stuff while also touching on some of the things that we 've talked about today, um, you know the individual side of things, from confidence to accountability to performance gap, all those things um, so that 's the, that's the quick book plug I know that 's not the main reason for this, this podcast, but I did want to make sure that uh, people knew that there was a place that they could go to get more of this. Uh, for all those that are listening, I just thank you for taking the time to to sit down with Alan and I. I, I t- kind of stole this conversation and used it as a personal consulting opportunity, but then also um, we hope you enjoyed it at home as well. So thanks, Alan, for taking the time, and I hope to have you on again here soon.
0: Awesome. Appreciate you, Pat.
1: And thank you for listening to the AD Insider Podcast. We're here to help provide access to experts and educators in the field of athletic administration. So if you appreciate what we're doing, please share this podcast with your fellow athletic directors. Also, those five stars on iTunes go a long way. We'd really appreciate any help on that front. Lastly, what would you like to hear next? That's the question we have for you. So if you have somebody that you'd like us to reach out to and do an interview with, all you have to do is message us on social media or reach out to us on our website, athleticdirectorinsider.com.